Drain it, Eli, you boy. Drain dry. I'm so sorry. If, if you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and I have a straw, there it is. That's a straw, you see. Watching. My straw reaches across the room and starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. I drink your milkshake. One of my favorite, most disturbing quotes or scenes from any movie I've ever watched. I don't know whether to be terrified or, or to laugh. Well, it's an appropriate clip for our podcast today, which is Zass drinks our milkshake, which is the negative way of looking at it. But just imagine Zass, which we'll define here in a second, metering out a very long straw and slurping up our milkshake and saying, drainage. I drink your milkshake. I've used that an inappropriate amount of times in my career. And half the time, especially especially our young team members are like, what, what, is, he, what is he talking about? <laughs> Welcome to the Helpful Human Podcast. Today we're talking about Zass and what it means. Thomas, uh, do you, before I use this word Zass, X-A-A-S, did you have any I idea what I was talking about before you started to understand it or look into it. Yes, but the old definition of it, it's changed a bit. Because when things first started, these acronyms were, well, we're just going to put an X in there and this is everything. It, it Really, it started as anything as a service. And it was kind of like this broad, hand wavy, anything you're subscribing to or getting, it's just anything. But now it's kind of morphed. Now that we know that that's an option, it's more your definition. Okay, well, let's do this. It's not my definition. And I want to first challenge whether it's a real thing or not, or if it's just like, we give up, here's a catch-all. So looking at what what is Zass, okay? So here's a, a definition off the computer, off the internet that I'm going to read. Zass is a general collective term that refers to the delivery of anything as a service. It recognizes the vast number of products, tools, and technologies that vendors now deliver to users as a service over a network, typically the internet, rather than provide locally or on-site with an enterprise. So, or within an enterprise. So, so let's, let's just pile on here. What are some of the most common types of ZaaS? All right, well, we have software as a service, platform as a service, so SaaS and PaaS, Infants, infant, infant structure, infrastructure as a service. I can imagine infant structures as yeah, a service. Like, it's like subscribing to a crib, a crib service. <laughs> yeah, with or pile or just stacking babies right. and bringing them to your house. Storage as a service, which is Stas. Database as a service, which is DBAS. Disaster recovery as a service. DRAS communications as a service and network as a service. I think at this point we can make anything as a service. Right. Lawn care as a service. LCAS, fried chicken as a service, FCAS. So it's a little bit ridiculous. Can we just call a spade a spade? It feels like we've given up, thrown our hands into the air, and, and we just say, well, it's just Zass. Right. Okay. So we know it's a real definition, and we're going we're gonna to jump in to what SAS, PASS, and 
infrastructure as a service is. I don't even know how to say that one. IaaS? IaaS. IaaS? Yeah. Yes. We're going to jump into some of what those are. And we're going to talk about whether we need to pay attention to this concept, whether it's really impacted us as a technology company in negative and positive ways, and probably most importantly, how it affects uh, people who are our customers or partners. Okay. So would you, would you indulge me if I did a little background okay. for you, please? Now, listener, although Thomas Hallstrom is a wonderful, wonderful man and highly capable, he is relatively new to the world of software design and development. He was really successful in a world where he stepped into technology as a platform adopter, configurator, seller, and value uh, communicator. Would you say that's correct? Sure. Can you sure. can you put a little bit of uh, imagery behind that? Yeah. So stepping into the world of technology, I didn't. Um, I, w- I wasn't brought in to build something from scratch. So one of my first um, opportunities was, Hey, really, we need to bring some order to chaos. We have this platform, but there's no standards. There's no protocol. We need somebody to come in and work with what we've already got and bring structure to it. So in in that case, uh, intranet development, portal development, what do our employees come and rally around? Okay. And what's a piece of software that you would say, Oh, let's use this past SAS or IaaS. Uh, early on Microsoft SharePoint. Okay was an online portal that you could subscribe to. You'd rent it. They'd take care of everything for you. And you'd have a site that your your employees could come. Is that why you have so much of that SharePoint merch, that, that like that jumpsuit you showed up with the other day, the the SharePoint? I love SharePoint. I have jumpsuit. an entire yeah, closet full of okay. SharePoint conference swag. But the... The idea is you already have this running start. You have some established rules, protocols, um, and structure for your data. And how do you how do you add to that? And what I often described it as is a really solid 80% solution. Some of those existing platforms, they've been made as a fairly one-size-fits-all with some customization ability. And you could use one of those to accomplish 80% of what you're trying to do. And SharePoint is an example of SaaS software as a service. Correct. Okay. So... That was your world. But let me say, that last 20% could really trip you up. Boy, it's a real sticky wicket, that last 20%. So going back to the introduction I had into the world of what we do today, there were really no software as a service. There was no platform as a service. As a 47-year-old who got in this business in the 20s, everything was hand-rolled. Everything was a big deal. And that's why we felt well needed it's our it was part of our identity how we how we related ourselves to the world of need from our business customers oh wow yeah cms um well no one even said cms it's like you need the ability to change the content on a page without having to know code okay well we're going to build a system and we weren't throwing around words like content management system and there certainly wasn't things like Squarespace or enterprise level content management systems. Everything was hard. So over the years, what has happened is a lot of what we used to do by hand that we would bill for uh, because it just had to be done has been replaced by software as a service. What used to take us hundreds of hours and lots of money 
is now five minutes and five clicks and you've got yourself a nice looking website. Yeah. I, I remember being at a, a, uh, large local law firm in college and they said, we need you to build a wiki for our service desk. And I'm like, dear Google, what is, what is wiki? Uh, it means quick, but there was now, I mean, mm. you can't chuck a rock without hitting a dozen <laughs> knowledge management wiki right. options, but I was looking up, how could I create a ticket management and knowledge management solution from scratch? And a lot of when these requests would come in to a technology department, you're like, shoot, okay, what are you trying to do? And then you're hand rolling it all. Right. And we don't have to do that anymore, at least a lot of the time. Right. We live in a world of SaaS and over the past few years, and here's some examples of great SaaS. Uh, congratulations to MailChimp for selling their SaaS solution to Intuit for, was it $12 billion recently? Honestly, what's the difference between 11 and 15? Like, yeah, it's billions. It's that's that's a lot of cheddar. Uh, Cloud-based stuff like SharePoint, Microsoft Office 365, let's, Salesforce let's branding. It, it's M365 so, now. I'm so, I'm so sorry, sir, if you please. Salesforce, uh, Google's G Suite, Zendesk, Slack, Canva, Box, Dropbox, and the list goes on. We have a SaaS product, Experiences. Right. And then you have pass, which is platform as a service. So AWS, it's not, there's SaaS like components to them interacting with something inside of a browser, but it's really designed to be my platform. I no longer have to drag a computer out of a box and set it in a colo somewhere, co-location. I'm just leasing flexible resources. It's counter space. It's the counter digital counter space on which you set things. Maybe. I'd have to think about that for a minute. Sound, sounds about right. Windows Azure is the AWS competitor. Heroku is a layer over AWS and other pass. Force.com, Google App Engine, Apache Stratos, OpenShift, right? So those are our platforms. And then we have infrastructure, which is nuanced, but a critical difference, which is DigitalOcean. So we manage our um, Kubernetes deployment out of DigitalOcean. They take on a lot of the management of the health of our Kubernetes encapsulation. And we don't have to worry about keeping the control pane of Kubernetes healthy. Yeah, you're outsourcing your anxiety. Yeah, so Linode is another one. AWS also has that. Cisco Metapod, uh, Azure, uh, Google Compute Engine. So a lot of the times what we're doing is we're assembling uh, ZAS components to solve problems. Going back to the milkshake drinking, you can either lament this and say, oh no, we're not needed anymore. In a way, this is a form of automation that has taken away a lot of the work that we are doing and is being replaced by computers who are doing it. And, I, and I'm absolutely convinced that we will not too far in the future for a certain type of functionality, you will be able to, in plain English, type or even maybe speak to a computer, something like, Alexa, yes, I would like a web app. And it, a series of questions will come back at you, such as, do users have to log in? Yes. What kind of users are there? Oh, I want an admin. Development is a service. Really, I mean, we're we're getting towards some of this stuff is now that's the, the expectation. It, it, I, 
configuring itself. I read a, uh, Deloitte did this study. They had like 1,100, 1,200 companies that they surveyed. 75% of the companies, technology departments, were relying on Zaz services, subscription-based uh, tools, platforms, uh, for more than 50%. So of the 1,200 folks, 75% of those marked 50% of or higher of our services were leaning on subscriptions rather than something that we pay for one time and then have to actively manage. And we can't fight it. We can't fight this automation, nor should we. And it can be an incredible value. When you look at the cost of saying, hey, we're going to build out this completely unique system versus we're going to rent this system. Yes, you will rent it in perpetuity, but sharing the cost with many different customers Listen, this is grade school uh, cloud computing, cloud rental stuff, right. right? It can add up over time, but you also have the support, ongoing support, and you don't have to build that part of it. So, well, but, I, I want to add some. So, as we were thinking about this, I've been reading Adam Grant lately and uh, organizational uh, psychologists at, at Wharton. And it's easy when you encounter, like looking at some of those stats, my gosh, over half of what they're doing is outsourced. But what if that's what we do? What if custom hand-rolled, special, bespoke, just as you asked for tech uh, software is what we build? That change can be daunting and you can either decide, well, let's capitalize on the remaining 25% who we think still want our services, or you can treat it as an opportunity. And while I was having these thoughts, uh, Adam Grant said, people who see change as a threat to the past reject new ideas and get left behind. People who treat change as a challenge in the present embrace new ideas and adapt. And people who anticipate change, not just not just responding to it, but actually expect it, that's an opportunity for the future to initiate new ideas and lead. And that is the challenge that a lot of custom dev shops face. And as I'm transition my, transitioning the locus of my own activity, I, I'm in the middle of that conflict. So great segue. Thank you, Mr. Adam Grant and Thomas Hallstrom for, for bringing that excellent quote to really get to the nut of the problem. How do we get outside of our myopia and our biases and encourage ourselves and encourage our customers and partners to leverage much of what has already been done and is automating away the labor, yet at the same time, not paint ourselves into corner with overly appropriating solutions that won't scale, that will reduce our competitive advantage and potentially create more problems. So that is really what I think is most interesting. I can worry about my milkshake getting drunk by Zass, or I can say, I'm going to embrace this change. I'm going to be curious to use the words you use a lot about how we can use it to accelerate amazing outcomes and then spend more time on creating amazing differentiation. And sometimes that's customer experience. Sometimes that's uh, software that weaves together great SaaS solutions. And sometimes it means we have to build the whole thing from scratch because we, we just really can't rent this or what's out there doesn't solve our problem. So let's, let's talk about that. So, um, software itself doesn't have value. What you do with it, whether it's Greenfield from scratch or existing SaaS, what you do with it is what makes a winning business. Do you agree or disagree? Agree. The tech should always serve the business, not the other way around. And so we have to fall out of love with tech 
and fall in love with outcomes. That's right. And the old, I mean, I, if you've been in technology for any amount of time trying to solve problems, you've encountered, yeah, but we already paid for it. The old model, we, software does have value. It has the value to the tune of $727,000. We paid for it. That's what it's worth to it. Now we have to use this thing. You're not working backward from an outcome. When you're doing this pay as you go, it becomes more outcome based. And if you're not getting the outcomes, you can make a change. But it, it shifts the focus to to what end are we using this tool or subscribing to this thing rather than we pay for it and now we're beholden to it. I want to share with you a little story. We had a customer this last year who said, we need this really cool digital interactive thing. They had a complex IoT device. Well, actually, this wasn't internet connected. It was a measurement device, a physical product, uh, pretty expensive and had a lot of functionality. And historically, they've had a really hard time selling these products when they're relying on third party salespeople. Even some of their own people don't know how to demo these products really well. And this company has been around well over 50 years, is my understanding. These products are used in industrial applications all the time. And they said, we want a demo that can be used by our selling partners, by our salespeople, and just live on the web that works for us 24-7, demoing the upside of this product. So in the past, what we would have done is we would have taken a bunch of photography. We would have uh, created a really high fidelity web page with hand-rolled JavaScript, HTML, and CSS, of course. And then we would have created a custom database. We would have created an authentication layer for the admins to get in and change the copy and the content. We would have um, hand um, uh, well, the quality control and the hand rolling of this entire experience for desktop, tablet, and browser, it would have been five to 600 hours of labor. Instead, because of budget constraints and timing constraints, we looked at what existing solutions were out there. And one of the existing solutions was this app called Seros, C-E-R-O. OS. And it is a low code, well, basically no code way for designers to work within a browser-based system to create high fidelity, motion-filled promotional pages. And it's used for all sorts of stuff, but a lot of the animations in there is like, wow, it's amazing how much time you can save. And then this thing needed translation for how many languages, 10 to 15 languages, right, right? Right. And so you would either have to make 10 or 15 versions of this, or we could, we could, we could set up a database. And so we would go to someone like Mongo DB, set up a, a Mongo database. But we said, well, what if we just used Airtable? And it's a visual database tool that someone who doesn't even have coding skills or any database skills can get in there and make tweaks because you just, you're looking at your database and this tool Seros had an SDK and Airtable development kit. This has a software development kit and Airtable has an API an application programming interface. Thank you. And we can weave this together with a little JavaScript snippet that lives at some place like serverless.com or the equivalent at AWS. And we can deliver basically a no code solution or very low code solution to this in record time. And what blew my mind is something that would have been a five to 600 hour effort 
compressed down to almost zero engineering time at all. And a hundred percent of the available budget was able to go towards creating a higher fidelity presentation layer experience that solved the problem exceedingly well. And yet was less money for helpful human. So that's the, it was, it was the answer knowing quickly solving the problem for cheap and knowing which tool to pull out of the toolbox and then when to do something custom. Well, and I remember that to be completely honest, I've known about Zass as a general descriptor for a lot of our problems being solved before we have a chance to solve them. And I did have a bit of an existential crisis, but I'm comfortable enough with outcomes and wanting to innovate and solve real problems that I simultaneously celebrated it. But you bet, man, I remember putting this solution together and just going, it's all done. We don't have to do this anymore. It was from what we used to be able to charge significantly less. Now, I don't want to get into the value pricing versus time and materials versus fixed bid argument, because ultimately, regardless of how long it takes, it still has a certain amount of value to the customer. But the reality is, is we can do things faster. Okay. So I embrace, go ahead. I want to add something to that. So for me, we mentioned I'm, I spent a long time taking existing platforms or, or even whole collaboration ecosystems and using them to accomplish some, some business outcome. And so for you, you're you, like helpful human has been used to creating things from scratch. And it's a bit of an identity crisis where you're like, there's all these low note. Well, solutions. just to be, just to be clear, we embrace ass and we've been doing a lot with platforms, but we're coming full circle on this. True important distinction for me i always leaned on this hey this is an 80 percent solution it'll get you there faster than anything else we'll figure out the 20 percent later but i leveraged those low no code solutions and now being here just to be transparent to the people who are listening it is a significant head shift for me to step in to recognizing what's the profile where it makes sense to pull in a tool like Seros for way less money and yet you're shortening the distance between two points? And when is that not actually going to accomplish the outcomes that the client is asking for? Great question. You're just, you're just delivering these segues to me. I mean, they're just coming at me like a warm blanket on a cold day. It's like, is it Amu's bouche? Like where, where the, the chef will bring out something in between the meal to just kind of be on ramps. And Did you say an Amu's bouche? Yes. Oh my gosh. I think that's why I don't know how to pronounce it. I've only read it. No, that's, that's, that, that is fine. So here, here's, here's what Zass can never solve, right? First of all, even with this example I told you about, Saros, Airtable, serverless.com, it still took a technologist to do a couple of things. One, what is the outcome you're looking for? How do we reverse engineer that? And how do we configure these things? And there still was some scripting. So it's great. Let's get there faster. Um, and I, can, I could probably share with you 15 examples today of how we have shortcut our own meaning in the world and gone through many identity crises to help our customers get somewhere faster. But we embrace it. We want to do it. What can it not do? Hmm? Like a Skeksy from that movie. Gosh dang it, what was that movie? I have no hmm. idea. Never ending story. Okay, what can Zass never solve? Zass isn't creative, right? 
when you're, when we're doing a design sprint and we've got in those first few days, it is, it is creating that challenge statement. It is saying, where do you want to go and what can we do in the near term to validate early and then enter into a continuous improvement model and mindset that is strategic, creative ideation and finding that thread to pull. Um, it also isn't inherently creative from a design sense. It's not disruptive innovation. Working these things together, weaving together a solution can lead to disruptive innovation, but in and of itself, it doesn't actually solve needful problems aside from you aggregating solutions to solve that problem. And there's some nuance there, but it's important. And then Zass isn't great at hyper-specificity. Any Zass thing, SAS Pass, IAS, and all these other ones, uh, fried chicken is a service, is meeting the 80% use case. But that 20% that it can't do can be the difference between incredible success or status quo or failure. So, so then what? What's left for us and our customers and our partners to do on top of that? Where should we go? What are the stakes? Do you have any ideas, Tom? Well, while you're taking time figuring this stuff out, your customers are suffering. When you're figuring out whether to build, whether to buy, taking your time and trying to find your place and how and where you want to protect existing revenue or unlock new revenue. Meanwhile, you're, you're potentially losing customers. When you're, if, if, so the stakes, if you're spending into oblivion and not using the best of what's already out there and already automated, right. Customers are suffering. Right. And what does that mean for you as a business? A couple of things. It means you're probably going to lose them to someone else, to your competition who are not afraid of using fantastic pre-existing solutions. Okay. So if you do this right, you can focus less on software and more on customer experience and, and delighting your customers. Yeah, focus more on the outcomes. The other thing that we evangelize quite often with using out-of-the-box solutions is you validate a lot faster. We had an engagement with a fantastic financial services company, and we were using a content management slash app. Uh, it's like you can do a lot of app-like things with it called Webflow. And it enabled us to do almost everything visual with a high degree of fidelity and functionality super quick to help them validate what they were trying to achieve, um, which is, hey, we have this product and service. We want to see who's going to raise their hand. Now, that's just landing page development. but And that's one of the earliest things that the back end got automated for. WordPress was doing this. You have landing page development services or platforms. And then you have things like Webflow, which can get pretty complicated. But you can also now do this with high fidelity app experiences with logins and interactivity and cloud, cloud connections. So the remaining question is this. All of us together, all of us listeners, all of us striving together, when do we need to do net new stuff. What are the, what are the best use cases? Just spitballing this really quick. Thomas is thinking he's looking up to the right. His eyes are looking either at something on the ceiling. I, I read an inter interrogator one time said, if you look up, you're making it up. If you look down, you're lying. I, I'm, that may be true. 
Here, so I, I'm not sure if you're lying or making something up. Can I, can I buy some time? Yeah. To answer your question. Cause honestly, I'm still figuring that out. I often relate this to creating, like creating technology. I often tie that back to creating music. I grew up, my dad runs a studio, has for decades. Um, and so that was my early introduction into what is it like to take an idea and turn it into a thing that people can use and enjoy. And you look at, you, you, there's, there's a lot of bands you might enjoy. The artist is the front person. They're the singer. Their face is on the cover of the album. Oftentimes it's that producer and you, you press a little into some of these bands and you might find, man, this producer is doing hip hop. They're doing metal. They're doing pop, rock, you name it. And they are the orchestrator. They're figuring out, yeah, you play guitar. Great. We're going to hold off on this song. And they're shaping this whole thing. And for me, when I think of where does it make sense to engage with a partner, the need for a partner who isn't just, hey, do you do the thing? Are you an expert at wingding? This is what we talked about during the last podcast, Full Stack Humans. Are you an expert at the thing? Cool. I need somebody who does the thing. Instead, you should be looking for a partner who understands your value prop as well as you do and can help you orchestrate. Hey, some of this we're going to create from scratch. Some of this we're going to use some. Can I just, an example? Yeah. If someone needed uh, transactional text messages going out from their app to say, Hey, your order's almost ready. Or uh, service person X is, uh, has arrived on the job site. Twilio. I'm not getting, I'm Twilio. And if you need transactional email, the company that is bought SendGrid or something like that. MailChimp has an equivalent as well. I'm not going to build that. Uh, even better example. And you hey, shouldn't, you need to take payments through your app on the web. What am I going to use? Stripe. I'm going to use Stripe or one of Stripe's competitors. I don't want to vault credit cards. I don't want to have any of that liability. It's an incredibly well-priced solution. I want to focus on the innovation around those solutions. Well, and it, if you're a larger enterprise, you might say, well, we want a certain level. Maybe you're highly regulated industry or you have massive compliance expectations. You want it to be custom. On the other side, if you're a SMB or small to medium business, you don't have a whole team to manage this stuff. So even if you can get it perfectly bespoke, you don't want that management burden on you. Listen, you want to leverage. as far as payments are concerned, you've got to be really big to want to take on that and be your own gateway vault and do all the banking compliance. The whole uh, Challenger Bank, Neobank financial services, part of the reason we're seeing some of these new banks with a little twist direct to consumer banks is because there is a banking as a service uh, infrastructure out there. And some of these new banking startups are billion dollar cap companies built on the back of legacy systems. It's It allows us to go to market through this new medium to innovate, to uh, control the narrative and to bring in our twist to provide new value to customers that some of these big, huge legacy banks such as Wells Fargo and Bank of America and the like aren't doing. So here, here's what I think. And, and here's what I want us all to take away from. When we enter into an, an amazing opportunity to change people's lives, even if that change isn't super exciting to everyone, maybe it's a B2B thing, but we want to make- Business to business. Yeah, business to business. Thank you for, for our friend in uh, Sheboygan who doesn't, know what that means. Um, hey, and I want to throw any shade at Sheboygan. Great place. I just try and define my acronyms I, the I, first time I ever I, used them. Thank you. So 
whether it's super exciting to you or not, our goal is to change people's lives. We're going to start with that and we're going to say, what is out there that we can use and where do we need to create net new value? So the first thing we do is knowing what we want to achieve and aligning our incentives with our partners or customers. And most importantly, the end user, we're going to align our incentives. Then we're going to look and say, where are some just no duh wins? Oh, payments. Let's look at Stripe, Braintree and the like, um, you know, transactional emails and texts, but Twilio and Stripe, they're the incumbent. And then from there, we make decisions going up the stack. What do we want to have? What do we want to rent? And where does renting actually hurt us? Where do we need to own the technology? But we can do more faster and create more value in the world if we finely tune the adoption of these things. Yeah, the, the negative space created by... ZAS deficiencies in ZAS, anything as a service. That that negative space w- that can and should be filled with with custom work. It's constantly changing, and I'm I'm still getting, I'm still creating my own definition for where that makes sense. And to jump on what you said, I think the need is less to have. These are always the instances where it makes sense to do this from scratch, and where ZAS is not going to serve you. And instead always be working backward from the business outcomes, revenue outcomes, customer out, customer experience outcomes, and then figuring out at that point, where does it make sense for the business? Okay. That's great, Tom. Let's, let's wrap up with some strong advice and strong point of view. Don't be afraid of the Zass. Don't let it drink your milkshake. I mean, give it whether, some of your milkshake. Whether you're providing services yeah. or consuming them. And listen, give it some of your milkshake. Okay. It's okay. Okay. Be careful what ZAS products you invest in. They need to be well-supported. They need to be there for the long haul. And this is why the incumbents, the big guys, are worth investing in. Partner with someone who respects and understands that and is keeping their finger on the pulse of where big wins can be achieved. Because I can tell you, as much as we use the Seros, Airtable, serverless thing, because it was appropriate for our customer, there's a million, well, maybe a dozen more firms like ours who would have, who would have just sucked them, sucked all their, all their monies up and not even look for that because, Hey, that's not what we do. That's not what we're in business to do. We're in business to write code. We're in business to do all the work and they're biased a little bit. And, of and in some cases, uh, there can be benefits where you find a partner that, Hey, we we're, we're a, you know, we're a platinum partner with so-and-so cool. But it also means right. you can be beholden. You're getting these back, you know, kickbacks and accelerators. You've got for blinders on. Where you know that's the destination that you're going to take the circuitous route to get to. You're not curiously looking at everything that's out there and constantly readapting to make sure you make yeah. the best decision. And the reality is you can't look at, it, look at everything out there. There's just too much. So takeaways, find a great partner who respects the ZAS ecosystem but is also really enthusiastic about outcomes and can look backwards from that outcome and say, hey, I, th- I think this platform, this service, this infrastructure as a service might not be the best bet because it paints us into some corners, but equally embracing the great solutions. And guess what, Tom? I don't think you knew this, but Helpful Human is one such partner. Yes, we are. We, we, we love the right kind of shortcuts. We love delighting customers and we love presenting these solutions to our customers as well. So. All right. Thanks for joining me today, Tom. Thanks, Mark. 